Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is technically week 12 of our Christology study. Week 11 is more encapsulated in the sermon that I gave on the resurrection, so we'll consider that as week 11, and this is going to be week 12. And today we are going to discuss the ascension of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. There isn't much to read here, so let's read what there is, and then we will expand upon it from there. Beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, being the disciples, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And that's it. That's all we have for the ascension of Jesus Christ. Christians in general spend a great deal of time thinking about the birth, the death, the resurrection, and especially the second coming of Jesus in these days. But so often we overlook the ascension and what significance it has in our redemptive history. So let's look at that in more detail today. So the first thing we need to understand is that his ascension defined something. If there was any dimension of the life and work of Christ that is neglected, it is his ascension. And Jesus ascended into heaven because his job was complete. He had come and did what he came to do. And what was that? That was to die on the cross for your sins. The atonement of his blood as the ultimate sacrifice for the wrath of God. That he completed, and his job was finished, until it was time to come again in the final judgment. So he is at the right hand of the Father, even to this day. And we witness an account here in the book of Acts where they watched him go up into heaven on a cloud. Luke is the one that records it for us, because he's the one who wrote the book of Acts. And if you happen to look in the book of Luke, at the very end of the book of Luke, we have a record of the ascension as well, but with just some commentary that Jesus said as well. It's very similar to what we read here. Now, in the gospel account, Luke tells us that after the ascension, the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. But it doesn't seem to match up with what the book of Acts is saying, because here they were in more of a contemplative state, rather than being overjoyed. They were not so happy that he was gone, but they understood where he went and why, and this 
was why they were overjoyed. We just don't see it described here in the book of Acts, but they were overjoyed by this. Once they were told by these two angels in white what was going on, as well as a very interesting fact that we often overlook as well, that, like it says in verse 11, he was taken up into heaven and he will come back in the exact same way, meaning that when he does return, it is likely that he will come at the Mount of Olives and he will come from the sky, just like he had left. So, very interesting thing to consider. Now, there are four things that occur because of the ascension of Christ. And these four things are the reason why it is to our advantage that Jesus departed. Because without Jesus leaving, none of these would have happened. So, what are those four things? The first thing is that he has returned to his original glory. Because as we know, as a man, he was not in his fully glorified state. He is well beyond time and space and well beyond the material world. So it was an act of submission, an act of humility. It humbled Jesus to come in the form of a man. And now that he is no longer bound by that, he is able to go into his original glory with the Father. In John chapter 17, he talks about that very thing, where he describes the glory that he had with the Father before the world was created. And he looked forward to enjoying it again. And now here he is enjoying it again. So he has returned to his original glory, and his time of humiliation and suffering has ended. He has been fully exalted. He has earned the name that is above all names, and he is victorious over death. So that's the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was Pentecost. And what is the purpose of Pentecost? Jesus described when he was with his disciples that it is to our advantage that he leaves, because if he does not leave, then the paraclete, the parakletos in the Greek, will not come. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. And how they would use it in the original Greek was this was a title of somebody who was the family attorney. So the family attorney is like the counselor and the advocate. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our advocate. So he is the paraclete. Now, Jesus was the original paraclete, but he was a local paraclete. His ability to intervene was strictly used only in the present area. With the exception of a couple of miracles here and there, he was mostly localized. Whereas the Holy Spirit is now universal, and the Holy Spirit is everywhere at the same time on the face of this earth. So the Holy Spirit is the second and final paraclete. He is the one that is called to stand alongside you. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to give his people strength. And one of the most important reasons for Jesus' ascension was that Pentecost might take place. And without him doing that, then the Holy Spirit would not have come. And quite honestly, I don't want to imagine a world 
of Christianity without the Holy Spirit present. Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the entire church in order to empower it for its earthly mission. And imagine not having that. What kind of a scary reality that might be. Most likely he would have been selective in giving it, of course, but but it is much better for us to have the indwelt Holy Spirit continuously as a pledge of what's coming. The third thing, the coronation of the king. Christ is now completely glorified, like we saw, and he is at the right hand of the Father, and he is preparing his eternal kingdom. Jesus was brought up to the Father because he was now given all authority, meaning he is now King of kings and Lord of lords. The kingdom of God is not something away in the future. It has already begun. The kingdom began because the king has been enthroned. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And the king is now on his throne. And the final thing. He is now our eternal high priest. His becoming our high priest happened at the ascension, and he now intercedes for us in the holy of holies that are in heaven, which is in the throne room of God. And there he functions as our priest king. And his main duty as the priest king is to intercede for us. So he's not making sacrifices in heaven, right? Because it's already been done. The price has been paid. So instead, Jesus is praying for those who have been given to him. And what is he praying for? He's praying for our perseverance. So imagine that, how humbling that is, that Jesus is praying for you to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is praying for you to the Father. It's not just you praying. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit also praying for little old you. How amazing that is, just to think about that. But that is the truth. That is what the Bible says. Now let's look a little bit deeper into this. So we see in verses 6 through 8 the final words that Jesus speaks while he's on earth. And he gives almost like a final commission. Not like the Great Commission where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. But instead, he says, you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? The proper word in the Greek is more like a herald, somebody who is announcing something. So in that context, we are his witnesses. We are his heralds. And that is exactly what we should be throughout the entire face of this earth. So now let's consider this. Did Jesus answer their question? What was their question? They asked in verse 6, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Well, yes and no, right? Because he has established his kingdom. He is on the throne. But it is not to Israel just yet. But it also depends on what you consider Israel. Because if you're talking about the physical kingdom of Israel, then no, it didn't happen. But elsewhere in the New Testament, you will see that Israel is also described as being the spiritual successors of God's people, which 
is us. We, in a sense, are grafted into what is called the new Israel, God's chosen people. And in that context, yes. Did he restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes, he did. Will we see it fully realized? No, not until he returns. But because of everything that Jesus did, we are now citizens of his kingdom. And therefore, we need to work on his behalf. Let's do a little exploring to see if we can see any parallels or anything additional that we can discover from this. In your Bibles, please turn to Daniel chapter 7. Go down to verses 13 and 14 and see if this sounds familiar to you. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Who is Daniel talking about here? He's talking about Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it's hard not to see that. Well, what similarities do you see from what you read in the book of Acts? Well, we see very strong parallels, right? We see that someone like the Son of Man was coming. And in my translation of the Bible, it has it in capitals, Son of Man, giving it a different indicator from that of the book of Ezekiel, where Often God would call Ezekiel son of man, but it's a different wording here to signify a higher being. And in this case, this is God himself, son of man. He was on the clouds of heaven, and isn't that how he returned? Yes, he returned on the clouds. He came up to the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, and he was presented before him. And What was he presented as? A perfect, unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And now he is king of kings, lord of lords. And that is the exaltation that the Father gave him. How did he do it? He was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And all the nations, peoples, and men of every language might serve him. So this is a direct prophecy, not only of what Jesus has already done, but the other half will be fulfilled in the end times. So this is exactly the same thing as what we're seeing in the book of Acts. Very interesting. Could we not agree that what we see happen at Pentecost is a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel? It absolutely is. Now, we're not going to go through it today, but what I highly recommend you do in your own study is to go through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews tells us about Jesus' ministry as our great high priest. Best places to look for this information would be chapters 4, 5, 8, 9, and 10. And those give you the clearest indicators of what he is called to do as our intercessor and as our mediator. Now, when it comes to the ascension itself, throughout history, Many people are divided on this as to what it means and when. 
So, for example, many commentators argue that Daniel chapter 7, when you compare it to Acts chapter 1, is a prophecy of Christ's second coming. But yet, someone like John Calvin will say that it was a prophecy of Christ's ascension. So, which one do we think it is? Personally, I think it's a little bit of both, because we see that God has returned Jesus Christ to his former glory, and yet some of this has not happened yet. So wouldn't we perhaps agree that it's somewhere in the middle, that it is a prophecy of partially the second coming and partially the ascension? That's what I think is the strongest argument, at least. Now, there's another area that is somewhat misunderstood. When you look at verses 9 through 11 of Acts chapter 1, there are some people that are skeptical of what's going on here. And some of these skeptics claim that this is teaching that there is a three-tiered understanding of the universe, and that heaven is a physical place somewhere in outer space. But whenever I read this, I don't see anything that even hints at that personally. So while this is more a point of controversy and a go-to for some skeptics and liberals, this is nowhere supported by Scripture, so we really have nothing to worry about. But is it somewhere in the sky? Is it somewhere in space? Is heaven a real, physical place? If we understand the nature of how the Bible is, God is a spirit. Angels are spirits. Therefore, the realm that they belong to is a spiritual realm. I thought that makes perfect sense. So no, it is not a physical place. However, it does describe that out of heaven, there will be the new heavens and the new earth, and there will be a new Jerusalem, a giant floating cube city with streets of gold and crystal sea and all that. That seems physical. But the rest of it seems spiritual because God is a spiritual being. So is there a logical reason? Or perhaps did Jesus have some sort of reason that he had to visibly ascend when heaven is not a physical place? Well, I think we have to consider the words of the men, what they said here, what these angels said. This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you had watched him go into heaven. It's more of a foreshadowing of what it's going to be in the end times when Jesus returns. More than heaven being a real place that he floated to through space. That's not the understanding here. Because what does Paul also say when you die? You are either absent from the body and present with the Lord, or absent from the Lord, and present in your body. You're either in your body, or you're immediately with the Lord. There is no in-between, and there's no travel time. You're instantly there, because the spiritual world is not limited to time and space. So no, it's not the same thing. And finally, as we conclude today, I want to consider a couple of things. One is... Listen to the words of these two men once more. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, 
who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. We don't know when this day will come, when he will return in the same way he left. And because we don't know, there should be some urgency in what we do. There should be some preparation that we are making for his return. Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? And again, I will pose the same question I posed on many of my daily episodes. If Jesus were to return today, would you have any regrets? And if your answer is yes, I would, then you need to repent and you need to change your ways. Because we want to be able to welcome our king to his return on earth without regrets. And quite honestly, if you're living in regret, it's most likely a sin that you're holding on to. And we need to get rid of it anyway. The second thing to consider is how we need to meditate on the fact that Christ was exalted at the ascension as both king and high priest. And in light of that truth, what does that mean for us? He is our master, right? He is our Lord, and he is our savior. He is our intercessor. He is everything to us. So if there's anyone in all the universe to please, it should be our king, our high priest our God. So as we go into a new week of work and responsibilities, don't forget this fact, that this spiritual truth is much larger than your 9-to-5 job. We need to be ready, and we need to be training for the day of the Lord. And until then, we need to obey our Lord, and we need to keep his commandments. I hope you found this helpful in your studies. And we have just one more to go through, which is what's going to happen at the end. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.